Happy Feet was a great movie. Uh, it's, I, I think that was one of the first movies I saw in 3D, and I absolutely loved it. And by far, I'm pretty sure I can watch that movie over and over again. And welcome to the Down in Front Podcast, the official podcast of downinfrontpodcast.com. What we do here is that we review movies, TV shows, just about anything that we uh, get our hands on. And just recently, we've uh, launched a bit of a new segment of we're going to be uh, watching movies live and commentary over it. So stay tuned for that because me and Guillermo um, did one of those. Uh, pending title right now, but hopefully something funny. Uh, but for tonight, uh, we review movies, we're going to have a drink, uh, I'm going to introduce our cast, and our full feature that we're going to be talking about is Mission Impossible Fallout, the sixth installation of this film franchise. So I'm pumped to talk about it because I actually had a great time with this movie. I think Brylan also had a great time, but before I step on his toes, Mr. Brylan, the mouth of a self, what you've been watching and what you sipping on today? Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, what I'm sipping on this evening uh, is water. I'm a little under the weather, and I also got to get ready for a medical test tomorrow. So it's nothing but water for me until I finish that test. Um, what I've been watching recently is Castle Rock, the new Stephen King-influenced show on Hulu. And I watched the first three episodes. It's definitely well-produced. I mean, this movie i think they are this tv show i think they actually rebuilt the sets like inch by inch of like some famous stephen king films that we've seen specifically nice. shawshank redemption so like you go back to shawshank prison which is crazy in it uh, but um i'm having a hard time like getting interested in it because i think it's a little too hardcore stephen king hmm. and as a casual Stephen King reader and fan. I mean, I would say a lot of stuff either go, blows by my head or I just find like what the characters are doing is very interesting, but it still sticks to those kind of uh, Stephen King tropes. The big thing that he made famous was taking the mundane and making it weird and mysterious and things like that. So there, there are some cool moments in it, and that's why I'm going to keep on watching it. But cool. I kind of want like the big mystery that they're trying to build up. I want to start to see something happen out of it. I think it's just a lot of mystery to nowhere so far. Well, I mean, that is Stephen King's work, so I know that it's going to, hopefully it builds up to something. The last thing I saw of Stephen King, yeah. it wasn't, uh, it was actually before, but besides it, it was, uh, what's the movie with Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey? Oh, The Dark Tower. Yeah, that was not good. Not, it was not good. <laughs> Um, oof, that was a rough movie to watch, that is for sure. That was last year, though, so hopefully things after that gets better. It was good. Yeah. And where do you watch Castle Rock again? It's on Hulu. Oh, cool. Okay, so I can easily binge that. Yeah. It's always good. 
Well, of course, uh, it's going to be me and Brylin. Uh, thanks for seeing your beautiful face. Uh, I'm always like, super excited to talk about movies with you. Uh, my name is Warren. Uh, right now, I am currently sipping on our hopeful new sponsor. That is our goal for 2018 is Arizona Iced Tea. Arizona Iced Tea. The price is on a can. I mean, come on. Uh, and I am drinking an iced tea raspberry flavor with a little bit of vodka in it. So maybe our other sponsor <laughs> is Tito's. Price it again. I, I, we'll work on it. I'm sorry, Tito's. I'll, we'll, I'll work on that. Tito's handmade vodka. I mean, it is vegan, and it's from yep. it's handmade. So there you go. And it's uh, it's good for you to lose weight. I'm on a bit of a diet, so I'll cut out all beer and cut down on my wine consumption. So we'll see how that works. We'll see how the long vodka that works. diet. The vodka diet. Proved by Down Front Podcast. You take a whiskey drink. You take a vodka drink, and you get a diet. There, you, there you go. <laughs> uh, I have been watching a bunch of stuff as usual. Um, the one thing I do want to kind of focus on, um, I do, I will like to give a quick shout out to an amazing piece of work directed and thing written by Bo Burnham called Eighth Grade. Uh, saw this movie last night. It was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm actually super pumped to try, actually kind of watch it again. Uh, and you know, obviously, no spoilers. Just want to kind of talk about and says if you see this movie that's around you, because I don't know if it's a wide release or as wide of a release as it should be. If you do get a chance to catch this movie, please do, because I think everybody it's it's something for everybody in this movie, and it's quite phenomenal. So that's eighth grade is in theaters right now. Definitely go check that out. Um, but the movie I uh, the show that I'm going to talking about is Sharp Objects. It's actually on HBL. Have you seen the show yet? Not yet. I definitely want to watch it because um, I read a small synopsis that it's about, it's a modern southern gothic tale, and that's enough to sell me on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, oh man, I think I want to say, I don't know if it takes place in Missouri, but it's somewhere around there. I'll definitely look it up and let everybody know a little bit later on, but, you know, stars Amy Adams and... It, I think the the one thing that somebody got me hooked was like it was kind of sort of like True Detective, and then I said, "Say no more, fam. You got me. Like I'm I'm on. Let's let's go." So they're only up to four episodes, um, and it's on HBL. So definitely go check it out. I actually renewed HBL to get ready for Insecure, and I fell up on this show, and I said, "All right, you know, thank you for Don Mahoney, uh, the Not Another Game and Podcast for giving me that shout out. So I appreciate that. Um, really, really enjoy the show. It's a very solid, bit of a dark, very, very dark show. It deals with some really, really difficult um, themes. So if you're not ready for that, um, first of all, it's an HBO show. So if you're not ready for an HBO drama show, then <laughs> that's on you. Uh, so it basically comes in with everything that's with the HBO drama show. Um, so I, I really like the actors. Uh, I really like the actresses that's in this. It's really, really heavily cast with uh, female um, characters, which is awesome. Um, I like seeing, like, it's just all, all around the place, and you kind of follow Amy Adams being the reporter, and her is trying to work on these stories of a, of a most recent murder that, ha that has occurred. Um, and so you kind of hop onto there and kind of follow the ride. So definitely go check that out. It's called Smart, uh, Smart, Sharp Objects. Smart Objects. It's called Sharp Objects. Um, that is on HBO, and it uh, their episodes come out every Sunday, so I'm super excited that you know Westworld's done, and you know hopefully we get a chance to talk about that. So there's nothing else to fill my Sunday, but now I do, so I'm good. So I'm always pumped about that. Nice, Warren. Did you check out Pretty Little Lies? 
Pretty Little Lies. Uh, I did. Did not like the show. I think okay. I probably lasted about maybe a, a season and a half. No, an episode and a half. Um, and I can understand why people like the show. I, I got into a really long conversation the last couple of days about the show. Uh, and, you know, my friend says she feels like it is, like, definitely a show that's catered and, like, is, is a ca- show, like, more catered to females. And I'm like... I'm not sure, but maybe I know I just didn't like it. But you know, I I, I don't I know it's not possible for me to like every show. Um, yeah, but I know it's a phenomenal. I know like people like it. Did mm-hmm. this one, so. yep. Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies. Thank you. I was like, I, Pretty Little Lies does not sound correct here. So <laughs> no, that's not it. I was like, right. it's Pretty Women. You know, there's something else. It's Pretty Little Lies, but that's that's not what it is. Uh, yeah, but Big Little Sweet Lies. Little Lies. That's a song. <laughs> Sweet Home. Sweet home Alabama. Anyways, um, yeah, I would say definitely go check it out. That's Sharp Objects, um, playing on uh, HBO. And if you do get a chance, definitely go check out Eighth Grade because that movie, I think right now, has already creeped into my top five of the of the year. Um, and I'm pretty excited because two of my top five stars, women, uh, lead actresses of Tully and Eighth Grade, and it, obviously the stories are very, very different, but it's a very, very good movie. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, so I would love to talk about it for more like a little bit later on. Cool. So I'm pumped today. I mean, I'm super excited. I'm, uh, I know... You are, I think you probably much enjoy these movies a bit more. We're going to be talking about, you know, Mission Impossible Fallout, um, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Um, so this is the same director who did, you know, The Rogue Nation. Uh, and looking at his IMDb page, it looks like he loves him some uh, Ethan, or, you know, he loves him some Tom Cruise, because his last, yeah. you know, few movies are The Fallout, and then it's The Mummy, which was a terrible movie from 2017. Then it's Rogue Nation. Oh. And then he had Edge of Tomorrow, and even before that, he had Jack Reacher. Uh, he also had Valkyrie. <laughs> so I'm just like, you love you some Tom Cruise, but all right, that's that's cool. Yeah, Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise, it became like they it's some type of creative relationship there. Either Tom Cruise really loves his work, um, or the other way around. But like, I've always been a big Chris, Christopher McQuarrie fan because um, he wrote The Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. He also had a movie that he directed that had Benicio del Toro and um, and someone else in it called Way of the Gun, which I thought was a really cool movie, done creatively well, like for intensity and action moments. So I found that he's like c- kind of like the right person to kind of spearhead something like the Mission Impossible franchise. Definitely not a subtle franchise at all, but uh, he definitely knows how to create some unique action moments, I think. Well, and I do want to, uh, you know, have a small addendum. He actually is only director of four credits, so it was the both Mission Impossible, Jack Reacher, and The Way of the Gun, so thanks for um, letting me know about that. He was all he was a writer on just about everything else, so Edge of Tomorrow was a screenplay, The Mummy was a screenplay, so he wasn't, actually wasn't the director on yeah. those um, pieces of work, so he definitely loved Huh? I love Edge Tomorrow. I love. I mean, I I do too. I really really enjoyed that movie a lot. I think it was definitely under the radar. Um, from what I hear, they may be potentially messing up the title of this the next one that potentially could come out, or it's actually already delayed. Um, but we'll see. <laughs> I, I I mean, I I enjoyed it. Somebody t- I was listening to a podcast, and I'm like, don't mess that up. I really enjoyed that movie. I don't think a lot of people liked it as much as we did, but 
everybody else is wrong, Riley. So, yeah. I don't care. It's cool. But before we get into, you know, our spoiler section, I did want to do a bit of a movie ranking because it looks like we always do these with these universes and we did it for Fast and Furious and it looks like we did it for the Transformers, which I know we don't need to talk about. And we always do it if there's multiple. So um, I definitely kind of pose the question of, you know, building an excitement to watch this movie, you know, how would you rank all the other Mission Impossible universe that we're in for right now? How would you rank the Ethan Hunt universe from uh, worst, best to worst, best to worst? Let's do that. Best to worst? All right. So initially, just to let everybody know, I did not like this franchise when it first came out. And I didn't really get onto it until Mission Possible 3, which I think is the best one of it. Uh, it's got a lot going on for it. I think it probably has the smartest script. It's probably the tightest of all the films. It kind of feels like the most grounded spy thriller of all, all of them. Uh, plus, it's got probably the best villain in Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, out of the entire series. What he does in that film is crazy and creepy and it's also you see him as an actual threat mm-hmm. um i would say after that mission possible ghost protocol brad bird's directed film uh just this is like kind of when like tom cruise decides to ramp up these stunts he's doing and him hanging out on the side of the burj khalifa like 1600 feet in the air is just like mind-blowing but that's just one piece that they actually have in that movie they have some amazing action pieces that go throughout it's just a very enjoyable film uh third i put mission possible fallout uh very similar reasons for that um after that is mission possible rogue nation is kind of a more boring version of fallout (laughs) um And then after that, I'll put Mission Impossible, uh, the first film. I just didn't enjoy it at all. I thought Tom Cruise was bad in it, and I thought that um, and maybe it's kind of my bias when it comes to spy films. At that time, I think, I mean, I was, I'm a hardcore James Bond fan, and so I was like, Tom Cruise trying to be James Bond? Whatever. This is dumb. And so I didn't really like it at all. Uh, and then Mission Impossible 2 is just the hottest garbage ever uh even though john woo is a fantastic director he's one of my favorite act, uh directors uh it was too john wooish and not a enough spy film i mean too many birds flying around you don't need that in the middle of mission possible film i mean you need i mean i was actually looking for the birds to fly around especially because they were like traveling all over the place in this movie um or i was looking for the uh lens flare also because i think uh what's his face jj was on this movie for a little bit yeah uh, there were some subtle lens flare nods uh, yeah. <laughs> so i was like "Ooh, i wonder if these are in it and it was i was like oh, oh. the other one came in real fast i was like damn you did not waste time on that one yeah. uh cool yeah okay so i mean um you know giving my sort of movies here uh i think going from my list to be completely honest with you there was a lot of Mission Impossibles that I do not even remember. They all, like, blended together. And so they definitely right. didn't stand out. And I'm like, man, you know, after my third one, it's kind of a sh- toss-up. 
Um, so I think my favorite one, because uh, I had it remembered so detailed, and I don't think I've seen Tom Cruise in this particular sort of type of movie before, so I thoroughly enjoyed Mission Impossible. That's probably one of my favorite ones. Uh, I think it was John Voight was in it, and it was that was the first time that we can get, at least from me, that was the first time I saw those sort of uh, espionage twists that was kind of like a M. Night Shyamalan, but not as crazy. Uh, and so I like how they were kind of put, kept putting those into the actual movies itself. And I like that running thing that they kept doing. So I thought that was kind of fun. Um, I guess this is another question. Which one had the uh, moment that he propelled from the ceiling? That, like, that's Mission Impossible 1. Okay. So, okay. Like, that's the classic okay. scene of him just yeah. like right there an inch above the ground. It's like the Matrix. I think it's like those moments, like the Matrix changed the, that, the way that they did it with the cameras, but also what Trinity did in that opening sequence changed the entire yeah. game. And so when he did that, it also changed the entire game. Now, it was very, very open for people to, uh, you know, make fun of it. And, you know, we, we get that. But I still think that feat, we just hadn't seen it to that sort of scale before. Um, so I definitely kind of give a lot of props to Mission Impossible number one. Uh, my second favorite, go, like, going echoing what you're saying, is Mission Impossible 3. Um, I really, really enjoyed Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. I thought that was really, really um, believable. And I think still so far probably the best villain um, that I've seen in this actual sort of series or universe. After that, it goes uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. I had fun with this movie. I thought it was very, very enjoyable, especially to the point where they brought back a lot of stuff that you know they already had shown previously. And I've seen all these movies, even the Rogue Nation one. I just I think we saw that last year, and I was like, okay, cool. That was another movie. Yeah. After that, they're pretty much all there. So my list says Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, Mission Impossible 2. Uh, but pretty much I didn't care about any of the other films. Uh, especially in Mission Impossible 2 because it was so different and they tried to like retcon so much stuff back from Mission Impossible 1 or like bring back characters and I was like what are you doing so uh, I think that was kind of a bit of a mess but overall I think you know the one thing going for these movies is that it follows a particular sort of pattern each and every time and you know the one thing going into this movie that I was hoping that it would do is kind of break that pattern so I'm pumped to uh, talk about that yeah, and I mean, the only thing I remember from Mission Impossible 2 is him and the bad guy pretty much launching their motorcycles at one another, and then they, like, smash into each other in the middle while pulling guns at the same time and missing each other while shooting seven times at each other. And he's just wearing these Oakleys the whole time that I remember everybody wanting these Oakleys. Yep. Oh, you can do that with the Oakleys? Yeah, sure. <laughs> What's it was such a bad movie. What's the worst that can happen? So with that, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to be getting to our entirely spoiler section. So if you haven't seen the movie just yet, definitely stop. Go check it out. This movie has been breaking tons of records, even overseas. So definitely enjoyable. Go check out Mission Impossible Fallout. And stay tuned for our full spoiler jam-packed section. See you soon. Beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. 
and we are back, and we are the Down in Front Podcast. We are giving you our full spoiler edition for Mission Impossible Fallout. My name is Warren. I'm with my best friend, Brylin. What we're going to be doing is that we're going to break it up in a couple sections. So we're going to be talking about the acting and the characters as we usually do. Then we're going to be talking about a bit of the plot in the story, and then ending with our lasting thoughts. So as always, Brylin... Talk to me about this movie. What are some things that you like, you didn't like about the actings and the overall characters? Yeah, so I'm going to start with uh, the man himself, uh, Tom Cruise, as Ethan Hunt. Um, he continues to play this role pretty much the way he's played it since the beginning, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's consistency in his acting, and this guy knows his craft really well. But the crazy thing is, like, these action scenes that he does that he actually not only puts it in like we hear actors like do their own stunts and they're like yeah i just jumped from three feet onto a padded um padded uh floor or something but tom cruise takes it the extra mile and he it's amazing to see that yeah he did a halo jump out of an airplane yeah he climbed up a moving helicopter yeah he was hanging upside down on the side of a cliff face that he doesn't only do the thing he does a thing to the best of his abilities and it's always amazing to see him do this and the reason why i not I'm not uh, speculative about this. Is like recently he did an interview with James Corden where he had James Corden jump out of an airplane, and it's not just like oh we're falling and then we pull our parachutes. While he's falling, you see Tom Cruise do all these spins and flips that you see the pros do, and so I'm like, yeah, he just went that extra mile that no one else will do. That he pushes himself to the limit, and it, I. I got to admire the guy for doing that stuff that he's putting himself out there every single time to entertain people and make an exciting show out of it using that physical physicality of his acting. Uh, I got to agree with you on like just so at every point that you made there. I mean, I, I think one of the things that works the best in these movies is Tom Cruise because he's enjoyable to watch you know that he's going to give it his all and more. And he is dedicated. He is, like, tone, like tuned into this character. He, like, literally, and I kid you not, and this is kind of funny that we talk about it sometimes when I talk about Daniel Radcliffe, right? Or <clears throat> I talk about other characters that you can't, like, disassociate them. When I see Tom Cruise in anything else, he is Ethan Hunt to me. And that is it. So it was weird when, you know, even talking about the Jack Reacher movies, I'm like, that's Ethan Hunt. Just a little bit different, right? Or, you know, everything ties back to being Ethan Hunt because he's played this character for so many years. And so I think it's really, really cool that you have a character that people want to follow, want to enjoy. He puts it out there. He's dedicated, breaks his ankle, does all his stunts as he needs to do. Uh, and then still has the ability to give those lines and still have some personality and have some jokes and stuff like that. So uh, I think it's, it's probably like great casting. Whoever started this uh, and casted him the first time and him continually kind of do more and more and more, I think it works on so many different levels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say on top of him, like he's got a great supporting cast. So like Simon Pegg and Ving Rhames coming back, they're fantastic in their roles as Benji and Luther. Uh, I think Benji is cool to see him get some extra moments 
in this film uh, mm-hmm. where he's kind of acting more like a field agent. So even though he fails sometimes of like f- it, with his fighting capability, oh, he's yeah. still is smart enough to like kind of pull a fast one on some of the bad guys in this movie, which is cool. Uh, and I think Luther, he he's always like the um, like a better term, the mom of the team, where he's just looking out for everybody and just wants to make sure everybody's taking is. Uh, getting cared for, and I think he has a really good moment with um, Ethan Hunt's uh, ex-wife at the end while they're disarming nuclear bomb. Yeah, that was great. I thought that was a very, probably the best dramatic moment that you're going to get out of a film like this. I Um, I love seeing that progression, right? I think that's something that we had, we we tend to talk about a lot when we're talking about, you know, different universes. (laughs) We really talk about this a lot more when we're reviewing more TV shows, right? Of, you know, how is that, how is that progression? How are these characters growing? And, you know, Ving Rhames was introduced very, very early on. It's nice to see that these characters has grown and we have like some fun and, you know, not only does uh, uh, Simon Pegg's, you know, character, what's his name again? Benji. Benji, right. Not only Benji's kind of failed at being like a field agent, he's kind of super nervous, he's shy, he's like freaking out at certain eight times of... He, he is like the techn- te- technological sort of nerd. I thought it was kind of weird that he like messes up with technology, so I thought that was a little interesting. Of That's like one of the first times that it's kind of... that It felt like he was out of his element with his element. So I was like, hmm, that was, that was pretty interesting. That's a different kind of take on it. But the fighting sequence, oh, that was so brutal at the end when he's actually fighting, you know, Lane. And he's he clearly, he's not up to it. And I'm really, really glad, right, that we didn't keep getting him because we felt like we was getting a lot of damsel in distresses, but they kind of did a, a bit of a gender swap. Uh, Benji, for sure, needed to be the gen like he needed to be the damsel in distress there was no way he was going to fight lay there was no way he was going to beat him and knowing going into it i was like how are they going to work out and sure enough i thought he was going to kill him and i again i think we had talked about this if you listen to a lot of our shows i'm a fan of death i think it would have been great if some one like one of these guys would have died and i think those are two moments of you know early on ethan saves luther and shoots him in the chest twice and loses the plutonium and then later on, yeah. um, you know, Benji almost dies by Lane's hand, but gets saved by Elsa. So I thought that was pretty interesting to have them like those perilous sort of journeys. And the relationship with, you know, Michelle Monaghan's character uh, with uh, like Luther at the end, because it was with so much stuff happening, with so much action happening, you can go back to a sequence that's just two people that just talking. There's a bomb, right? But there's just talking, and it kind of slows everything down to give you those character moments and those character beats. And I think that's where movies actually excel when they can slow everything down to give a bit of like, oh hey, how's it going? You know, how's the kids or something like that, right? Um, right. Or you know, for him to give him the lines of, "You've done all that you can do. Go be with your husband because that's where you should do." And that's the like, the ultimate sacrifice is you know, do do that be with the ones that you love i thought that was great and i thought like certain things like that certain moments was just very powerful yeah and it looks like luther's been in it since the very first movie so. oh really yeah oh he was was he like kind of a bad guy no i think he was kind of like a counter agent trying to hunt down hunt he might have been It'll be interesting to revisit that film. We gotta watch that. We need to have a live, yeah. we, you know, Mission Impossible and chill. That's probably our segment we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just watch all the Mission Impossible movies and be like, oh, do you remember this? Nope. 
I don't know, John Voight. That's about it. What about, yeah. uh, when did, uh, did, did you take a look at when Simon Pegg started? Uh, it was three. Three? Okay, cool. Yep. What else you got? Uh, so, um, I want to talk about Henry Cavill a little bit. Uh, this guy's physique is crazy. Amazing. I mean, he's taller and bigger than anybody in the room at any given time. Uh, that, um, him punching through a wall does not seem, um, far-fetched at all uh this dude like any moment he's on the screen it's just like you don't want to mess with this guy this guy's a badass and he he doesn't really get much to say or anything it's more about his presence or anything but i think it's really neat we've seen him play like a spy in um the man from uncle yes. where he's more james bond suave debonair uh lady charmer here he's a cutthroat assassin and i think it's really admirable that they're two different types of characters and like even his american accent is totally different in this one compared to that movie as well um i think it's it, it's crazy that um that if you're going to get someone that's going to be physical enough to compete with tom cruise like tom cruise is like physical in a different way to have this like brute force versus a scalpel like as angela bassett so stupid talks about such a um, stupid line <laughs> oh, i hated that <laughs> yeah, line it, it's a corny line but it, for what this movie is i think he works uh as this um surprise villain that they have even though it's not that big of a surprise uh we'll get that into plot later <laughs> yeah i mean even i think you know i'm not gonna spoil too much of the plot because we talk about that but i i just really wish that they gave henry cavill more to do i was really really hoping and i think it would have made for a better movie to have that guy from from a man from uncle to have him be more um sophisticated more sharp more clean because kind of showing him doing Ethan's what, job, but better than Ethan. But but just like a step ahead of him. Yes, but he has to be the he has to be that person. He has to be a better version of Ethan Hunt. But does it the better way? Like saves lives. Like things are way more calculated, way more organized. But we have to be on his side, you know. Right. Uh, and I'll, I'll go into that one a little bit later. But that was like the one thing I was really bummed because. Arguably, I think if you're looking at the entire movie as a whole, Henry Cavill is by far the more superior actor than anybody else on film. Anybody else here in this movie, sorry. But to, to the fact that you gave him background lines and this little arm cock that everybody's like super excited about, but I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not even a lot because yeah. he, he actually, in that fight sequence, lost. He lost quicker than yeah. Ethan Hunt lost. And we is already established his character as an assassin that's the world like even better than ethan hunt but what we got wasn't that and i was really bummed that they really downplayed it and i'm wondering if it had anything to do with fucking justice league and i i really believe that i wonder if they had to do like shoot a bunch around it or do like a bunch of stuff because of justice league and, and i felt like i wonder if it kind of clashed for some reason well, I mean, for that thing, I like, I mean, we know the story that it was Justice League that kind of got hurt by that because they wanted him for reshoots because, I mean, the prim the majority of Justice League was filmed by then. Mm -hmm. It was just they needed him for reshoots, uh, and they said you can't take the mustache and you get the infamous CG Superman face 
which looks terrible in that movie. But the mustache so, t- wasn't even needed in this movie. It was so it, it uh, like it's so silly. Some of the things that they chose I mean, to do, the, the choices yeah. that that productions make for some reason. I mean, probably don't make sense to anybody except for what they were envisioning at that time. Um, but like one thing, like I mean, I love about Harry Cavill's actor like him doing impossible things looked really cool especially when it picks up a big ass gun because you know he's the only guy on film that can pick up that big ass gun and make it believable yeah which i thought was really cool well it was so subtle too he's like huh turns around grabs this gun and i was like oh my god straight cocks it and just starts firing i was like that the the subtleties right I, i think they, yeah. they, you see some of them in the movie. I think there was like really maybe two or three sequences that he was very, very subtle, but he was like phenomenal with the subtle. And I think the one was him pulling up this huge like M60 gun. And then the other one was when he's, uh, you know, Ethan's chasing him and he finally catches up to him. And he clearly sees Ethan through the elevator grate like, hey, what's up? Casually pulls out a gun and says, I can't do it as much as I want to, but I'm going to break you down and show you this photo that we actually have Julia uh, and I'm her guardian angel, which is Ethan Hunt's like ex-wife. And I'm like, that's like yeah, this, that that, that's good. That's scene. the subtlety. That's good. We need more of that stuff. Not look him looking like a buffoon, not, not him failing. Because yeah. the first thing out of the gate that we see is... They get ready to jump out of the plane, and he's being an asshole, and we're already meant to not like his character, because he disconnects Ethan Hunt's oxygen, knowing that Ethan Hunt yeah. turns his oxygen on, and then he gets zapped by a bolt, and Ethan has to save him. So it's just like, man, you really made it really easy for us not to like this character. And it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, I would say, like, some of the other uh, big characters, I like that Rebecca Ferguson came back as Ilsa. She was probably the best thing about uh, Rogue Nation, uh, that they brought this new character in that was just as badass as Ethan Hunt, Mm -hmm. uh, and her motivations were totally different, even though you could get on her side just as easily as Ethan Hunt's. Uh, And it's neat to see her story continue here. So, I think they should have done more with her but i felt like that she still brought it um really well and there's some really she gets some really cool action scenes especially in the um in the paris uh party that uh she takes out some bad guys some really cool ways yeah. i think oh that was cool I, I like that i like seeing her i like anything to do with have a uh, it's nice to have a female a strong female sort of character i think they kind of sort of did it in Ghost Protocol, I want to say. Like, they introduced Elsa in Rogue Nation. They kind of tried it in Ghost Protocol, but she wasn't up to it. Um, right. So it's nice that we have somebody who is arguably better than Ethan. Uh, and she's a woman, and it's cool. Yeah, and I like that when she has to butt heads with Ethan, that none of them hold back. Like, him running over her while she's on the motorcycle. Ooh. I mean, I thought that was amazing. Great. That... Yeah, they're they're not gonna pull punches. It's not a it's not like your clean cut love story. They definitely have feelings for one another, but they're not going to, when it's the mission that's important. Um, they're not going to let anything get in their way because that's the type of mission they're on. 
Um, I would say some other uh, bit parts I liked. Uh, Vanessa Kirby as uh, the White Widow. Uh, she's Princess Margaret in The Crown. Uh, she's very sexy and sultry. She she has a look that fits right into like what her role's supposed to be. Um, most of her time, she's just like looking at people and saying uh, like exposition things. But I mean, I think she played it very well. I think it. She reminds me a lot of a more downplayed version of the bad guy in The Man from Uncle that. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki played mm-hmm. that she doesn't really get the smart witty banter that that movie has, but she does have like these nice character moments. Uh, but on the other hand, the, whoever the actor is playing her brother, that looks like a poor man's Tom Hardy. Just like, keep that guy off the screen. That guy was so weird. <laughs> he was bad. I love, <laughs> I, I really, really love Vanessa's Kirby character. I love her. I, I mean, when I saw her, cause I didn't realize she was in this movie. My, my heart just, like, fluttered because I have, like, this huge, huge crush on her. And so I was, like, yep. always super, super excited just to kind of see her. That was always kind of fun. But uh, Frederick Smith, whose name is Zola, <laughs> so apparently that is the uh, poor man's Tom Hardy. And I wanted to call you out because I saw that in the note, and I'm like, that wasn't the guy from uh, Upgrade. <laughs> Upgrade. <huh? laughs> I was this like, was, like, the even more bargain budget Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he looks... Uh, he looks weird. He's like, it looks like he did a lot of like TV stuff. So he's from Supergirl, and he's done you know the Flash. So he's definitely been in a lot of like, um, uh, TV stuff. Looks like he's done a couple of movies like here and there. But this may be his like this may be arguably one of his biggest roles as much as things that I've seen. But he's got like a couple different lines, like nothing here and there. I thought that was really cool casting because they actually look pretty similar. Which I thought yeah. was, it kind of creeped me out. It creeped me out a little bit because I'm like, are they related? Because they their faces kind of look related. Uh, but I thought that was really cool casting. Yeah. And lastly, I would say um, I, I I like Angela Bassett in this movie. We see her a couple times, but uh, first time, I mean, she is definitely this hard ass CIA director that took over. Alec Baldwin's job after he became the IMF head uh, and I feel that um, she has just a little bit more personality for that type of role um, I would um, I'd say that uh, she's she grows on you as the movie goes on that she doesn't I mean you want her you kind of get a feeling that oh she's just sending her person to stop Ethan Hunt, but we find out that she's kind of more by the book, but she's like hard nosed by the book, which I thought was really cool. I mean, how uh, you know, it took us a little bit, you know, about maybe forty minutes until I have to say I completely disagree with this point, Brian. We were so good, we were doing so good. Uh, you know, the biggest issue because I, you know, I see Angela Bassett in this movie, and I see Angela Bassett in Black Panther. Obviously, two different movies. Oh yeah, two different but, characters. Yeah, two different characters. But you see a character who is a power, her being, you know, the, the, the mother there, the, not quite the queen, uh, but like the mother of the actual country of Wakanda, and her arguably being a, a very, very, like both being people of power of in both these different scenarios, she's done, and she's got maybe, arguably, a little bit more lines in Black Panther, because she definitely have more screen time there, so you definitely have to give the nod there. The thing that I 
really was upset about was they didn't give her again anything to do. So the, like we already said that you know Henry Cavill's character's name is Walker. They didn't give him a lot. Okay, cool. We know that that's the person that we don't like in this movie. But Angela Bassett she's basically being be, being played games and for her to be the director of the CIA to not do your homework and to be fooled as easily and to be like oh whatever I'm just going to take everybody in and it just felt like it was just broad strokes of they didn't really give a shit of her character like we got some complexity with Alex Baldwin characters previously so I have a bit of an issue here because Alex Baldwin's character, when it was announced, it was very different. Jeremy Renner was there, and it felt like it that clearly they, it felt like clearly in the past they had that character that was way more developed. They put more time in his character. They know that he he had to be a foil, but not really, and it was kind of funny, and it made it so that we wanted to like this character because of course he joined up, and we're supposed to like him. Angela Bassett in this movie was literally just there to be like, oh, I'm I'm a person that, like you said, it's by the book, but there's nothing else. So I'm only going to believe one thing that somebody's going to say, and I'm just going to go with it. And that's it. I'm not going to look into my sources. I'm not going to look into every, anything else. I'm not going to try to judge and try to figure out. And I think they tried to make a, a bit of a subtle hint when Walker, uh, Henry Cavill's character, hands over the phone that doesn't have a bullet hole in it. Right? or it's not broken anymore, that it's fixed. So that's already a tell for the audience. It says he's dirty, he's doing something dirty. But there was just nothing redeemable about her character. It, it, there's nothing that she did that was good up until the fact that she shows up at the end to save Ethan from the cliff. And that was it. And so then they have a voiceover. And I was just kind of bummed that they basically kind of put her on like the outskirts. And, I, and you know, they just felt like they just kind of wanted a, a, a strong black female woman, you know, actress, which is her, being in a, in a powerful position, which she was, but didn't give her anything to do. And I think she only had maybe, what, four scenes in the movie? The beginning, yeah. the middle, the kind of sort of twist, the turn, and the end. And so it's like, come on, man. Like, if you're going to put her in the movie, use her. She's also another great fucking actri actress, arguably could be the second best performer in this movie. But she was just kind of underutilized, and I was kind of a bummer. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I agree. She needed more to do, and you don't really flesh out her character here. And but I think they're definitely setting her up to be in the next film a lot more as well, just like they did with Alec Baldwin. Um, I just found that Alec Baldwin's like CIA director always came over as like, oh, Ethan Hunt's just going to pull a fast one on him. Mm -hmm. At any time, and it's just like, oh, well, that's what Ethan's doing. I feel that the way she approaches this character of being this kind of bit more brutal on the nose person, that she's not going to take a lot of bullshit that Ethan would usually get away with, which would be interesting to set that up as if she has to step into like more of that director role for him in the next film. That, um, and Maybe this is me just like high hopes for what the next film would be. But um, I find that, yeah, that first scene I thought was really bad with her and Walker being introduced. Uh, a lot of cheesy lines, like you said, like you use a scalpel, I prefer a hammer type of thing. Um, but also I think it was cool to see that out of all the people she trusted was Alec Baldwin's character the most. 
And so, like, when they reveal who Walker is, it's cool to see that, um, that even though, yeah, you found out who the mole is and everything, mm-hmm. that, yeah, I'm still going to do this my way and nobody else's way. And that's when the soldiers come in. But we even see, like, and this is not to her, I mean, I... I guess, yeah, make sure your soldiers are the right soldiers. But exactly, man. That's, that's the thing about the the syndicate or the apostles, whatever you want to call them now, that they're everywhere and you can't find them because they're invisible type of thing, which is, you, you know, the silliest villain ever. Very, type, very, 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 very James Bondish. Over, yeah. Overly James Bondish. And I think, Too James Bondish, yeah. yeah. There was some, I'll talk a bit about, about the plot. I mean, arguably the entire plot is very overly James Bondish. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean... It's interesting to know, and I like a couple of the call-outs that you make there, because if they are setting her up for this next character, I think that'd be great. I would love to see Angela Bassett and Tom Cruise, like, you know, battle against each other. Because I don't think he's ever had a uh, a female character. He has Elsa, but that looks like that's going to be more of, like, a love um, thing. And so, arguably, I don't know if Elsa's going to be in the next movie, because it doesn't make any sense. But we'll see, right? Whatever. But if... if if he has to have somebody that has to be like his foil or somebody else that has to be kind of above him, it'll be interesting to see if it's Angela Bassett. The one thing that I'm I'm curious about is Alec Baldwin is is he he died so Walker killed him stabbing him, so it's curious to see what's going to happen with the team now. Yeah, 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 and um, I would say the the last character I thought, and I just think he's. He was bland in Rogue Nation. He's bland. He's kind of bland here. I didn't even know it was Lane still when I first saw him because they put him on his beard and everything. I'm like, is this even the same person? But I had to even look it up. Yeah, it's the same actor and everything. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of confused while I was going. Like, I mean, are they continuing what they were doing in the last film? So I was like, with Lane, I mean, he's just kind of stands there to be the archetype Bond villain. And I hope that they, going forward, and I think, didn't Ilsa kill Lane at the end of this? No. No, just knocked him out. Yeah. Yeah, they just captured him again. Captured him, yeah. They, they, um, they gave him over, they, they like, you know, this is not, I don't think we ought to talk about this in the plot, but they gave him back to the MI6 division. Like that's the British, right, that's right. British through government. the White Widow. Yeah, exactly. As a, through a broker, and it was White Widow. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, hopefully uh, they don't bring Elaine back. I don't need a Lane trilogy right now. One thing that you know about the Lane's character was they rev- they messed up that reveal by opening this movie with that dream sequence, and yeah. I felt a kind of Avengers <laughs> spoiler <laughs> for Avengers of people turning to dust. I was like, you can't do that anymore. I'm just going to think of Avengers and that's it. <laughs> um, so they kind of ruined a lot of the movie because I didn't realize Julia was going to be in this movie. I didn't realize Lane was going to be... A, like, like Once you open up with a dream sequence saying, hey, this is what the movie may be about, the entire focus of the audience is going to be solely on those two characters because now... I'm basically waiting to see these characters. And sure enough, the two big reveals in this movie, now this thing, there's more, but two of the biggest ones are who they're going to save and why. And they kept asking this question of, 
well, why do they have cashmere? Why are they selecting cashmere? Why is there a, like a medical thing in cashmere? Like they ask that question early on, and then we find out the fact that it's because Julia's there, and so it's just like. Oh, I thought it was because Wes Bentley was there. <laughs> no, no, no. Who's great? But no. Yeah. And so it's it's to the point where I think they did themselves. A bit of a disservice there, and I thought it was kind of funny because when the first time I watched this movie, um, oh, oh, also side note, we definitely need to talk about how we watched this movie because we can't gloss over that. Yeah, so in a second, but uh, when the first time I watched this movie, I watched it on one of the screeners, so I had like a free ticket. <laughs> Although I was gonna see it anyway, I was like, I like screeners or I like you know um, early showings because they don't have any trailers. We all yeah. know how I feel about trailers. So, I think it opened up with a dream sequence, and I'm like, what? Why are they showing me? Oh, they're in this movie? And then it starts, and I was like, oh, that's weird. And then maybe I was thinking that, you know, the, the guy or the person who delivers um, the parcel was also going to be in it. And so, I, I had a lot of hopes and dreams for this plot that didn't work out, but... We'll talk about plot in a second. The only thing I want to talk about the uh, more of the acting and the characters. I love the fact that they can still do twists in the movie that surprises the character, even when the character itself acknowledges that it's a twist. And the only the the way that, that I explain it is, um, you know, Henry Cavill, uh, Angela Bassett has said something off screen, so Henry Cavill explains it and says, like, you just got, you just people that's, like, hanging around with, like, some little masks, right? And so we know the fact that they use that as technology. They tried to use it to get Lark's uh, face, but that failed mis <laughs> miserably. And a very, very funny, very, very visual gag. Stupid really, Yeah, I, I love that visual gag, though. That was great. Um... And so then it comes back, and then you see that he there's a twist to it. So I thought it was great because they're they're putting that in the script for people to understand and like realize. Like, oh, that's like a surprise. The physicality of you know Tom Cruise. I thought that was actually great. Um, it felt like the one thing I want to say is everybody just had so much fun, like doing this movie. I, I felt like they had just a lot of fun, like actually doing this movie, like being the characters. Stepping back into this world, like traveling all over the place and doing some ridiculous stunts. Although it was great, so uh, I'm definitely kind of pumped about that. Before we talk about plot and story, we got a new theater that opened up. So we actually both went to go see this movie in the AMC Assembly Row Theater in Somerville, Massachusetts. And it is a brand new Dolby Theater. Um, has the Dolby surround sound, the sound that moves, and the 8K screen. Brylan, you told me about it first, and I did not realize it was open. And uh, I would say I was a little hurt. You didn't tell me you were watching this movie because uh, you knew I was off. And I was like, bitch, I live right down I the street. I knew you were off. I'm off, I'm off on the weekends. You know that. Did it's I okay. Yeah, you saw it. Was, yeah, you said, oh, I'm going to watch it. I was like, this motherfucker. I'm not even home. I was all so upset. <laughs> But uh, tell me about your experience of checking it out in the new Dolby Theater. Um, I maybe this Dolby Theater is so good that I think this is one of the best shot films of this year because of it. Um, every single set piece looked fucking phenomenal. Like when he's running on the rooftop of uh, in London, 
It's like the most beautiful London landscape you've ever seen. Uh, when him and Henry Cavill are fighting on the cliff at the end, you're just like, I kind of want to go take a vacation there. It's it's a phenomenal experience. It's like one of the best movie-going experiences I've had. Um, there are like, um, I think the way the movie shot is always going to play a role and you can see some artifacting and graininess because I doubt they shot this movie for 8k, but it still looks beautiful uh, on that screen. And also the sound, the sounds fantastic with like a trains going through or uh, when there's like rumbling, when they're jumping out of an airplane, you feel that in your seat too. And it's really cool just to be kind of, the, the best way I described it to for the show as uh, Guillermo is that it's not about you feel like the train's coming at you. It's kind of like you feel like you're on the train while it's rumbling. Mm. And that's kind of the difference to this. And I definitely want to see more movies like this. It's a fantastic experience. I mean, I was super excited. The first time I saw this movie was not in Adobe. And I was really upset that I... Usually I'd never seen... Certain, certain movies that's not in like either IMAX or something that's like heightened, right? Either a bigger screen, better quality, better sound. Uh, I saw it, you know, I got it for, got it for free, went to the Boston Common, which they have the Dolby Theaters, and I was kind of surprised they didn't put this. They don't have Dolby Theater, excuse me, they have IMAX Theaters, and I was kind of surprised they didn't put this in the IMAX Theater, but I guess it was a free showing, they only got one sort of type. But... I went to go see it there. Literally had the first, first row of this. So my first watching experience was not the best. Um, yeah. Then got a chance to go get those comfy, comfy seats. I love the sound. Like, the screen itself was, like, ginormous. I thought this movie was, like, perfect for it. I'm really, really hoping that they... Like, I think this movie may leave the that theater this week uh, and then may open up with something else. I have no idea what's going to go because I don't think there's any bigger movies this this weekend. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, some of the movies going to roll out for there and if they're going to convert more and more of their theaters. Because right now, they only have one, and that's literally the theater number one at Assembly Row. So it'll be really cool. But yeah. I, I really enjoyed I mean, the seats were comfortable. They were reclining. They had just a lot more space. The one thing I really enjoyed, and it really reminded me of the RPX theater that's over in Fenway, because a lot of those theaters that they have there, so the seating is kind of similar. They have the space that people can, like, I'm literally laying down, and I'm a little... You people know, can still walk by. Exactly. Well, kind of. Me and you, not so much. We, yeah, not yeah. so much. I'm not very tall, <laughs> but, you know, I'm six foot, so I still had to, like, you know, hike my feet up a little bit. But usually if somebody's, like, under, like, 5'7", five, 5'8", five, somebody can easily lay down, somebody can easily walk by instead of doing the, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, sort of thing. So I thought that was great. And I, I, do, I am curious, though... I'm pretty sure they took out a lot of seats. Um, they did. Yeah, so. it's definitely limited capacity. Yeah. Um, but one other big thing I like about it is the entire theater is soundproof. So you're not going to hear other movies bleeding into that experience. That's cool. I did not realize that. Um, that will be actually huge. I just recently watched a movie that was clearly not soundproof. But... I just feel like all theaters should be soundproof. That's a little silly, but... Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to our view. Uh, but we love Dolby Theater. So, thank you, AMC. Yeah. Thank you, Dolby. Thank uh, you. 
Let's talk about the plot. Let's talk about the story. Um, I know you have a good amount of notes, and you have a lot of uh, you have a bit of a checklist on these actual do, notes. Yeah. So I'll, I'll toss it over to you, and you have the floor, my friend. Alrighty. So uh, the plot of this movie uh, is very simple and straightforward, and so this gives us a lot of cool action beats that we need to have in for this type of movie so we got to make sure we have well shot car chases in european cities we got that we got a euro dance hall going crazy we got that uh we got tom cruise jumping out of shit got that definitely tom cruise running a lot and uh running really fast (laughs) half the movie is him running you got plenty of that. So uh, even, even talk about the. Well, well, hold up, sorry. I know. I, I didn't. I, I'm gonna say you had the floor after this, but the one thing that I thought was amazing. There's a lot of running communities and blogs and twitters that I follow, and there was so much study on his running style, his gait, what he was running in. Yeah. And I thought it was hilarious that people are like breaking down this fact. And I was like, <laughs> I felt like he ran a lot. I mean, that one sequence, it felt like he was running for a good like ten minutes straight. Full sprint. And I was like, oh, this is so great. I mean, clearly they shot it in multiple takes, I would imagine. But it was great that he was, like, hauling ass. I absolutely loved it. Proceed. Yeah. And uh, we also have him climbing things when uh, they're going a 1,000 feet in the air, which is really important for a Mission Impossible film. Uh, We also have Henry Cavill looks like he could destroy anything with his fist, even though... A lot of people get the upper hand on Henry Cavill in this movie, which is surprising. I mean, he definitely gets some good punches in, but after that, uh, he should have been more threatening with those fists. Uh, And like I said before, Henry Cavill wielding an insanely large gun like it's nothing. It's amazing. Uh, It makes one of the best, like, finales of a Mission Impossible film that I think to date. So it has everything you want in a Mission Impossible film with all these cool action set pieces. But uh, there's really, there's there's some interesting parts to the story, though, that I really like. There's, um, when it comes to, like, clever spy moments, I thought one of the best scenes was when, how they tricked the nuclear scientist that was actually, um, that actually was going to make the bombs for Lane. Uh, that was brilliant. They actually set it up where you think, and you're there with the scientists thinking, oh, those bombs have gone off. This movie totally taken a totally different turn. This is crazy. And you see Tom Cruise in the, in the uh, hospital room with this uh, scientist just saying like, I mean, looking defeated, but also at the same time trying to still do his job. What else can I do? How can I find Lane? Or how can I find the apostles? How can I bring them to justice for what they've done? And um, and then in the end, you see that it was all set up just to get him to unlock his phone, which I thought was amazing. So that was, I think, the the both times that I saw this movie, the entire audience was laughing so hard. Yeah. I think that was a moment that was like, purposely for the fans to remind you of hey this is something that we can do and it was yeah. it was it was such a great reveal of go box comes down you see him like walks up takes off how did that do and they actually made a bet on it i'm like oh come on like there's so yeah. many like subtle things that had happened there um 
I really, I really enjoyed that moment. I really enjoyed that sequence a lot. Uh, even the reveal of, oh yeah, you were you were gone, like, that happened two weeks ago, he's like freaking out, like, let me at him, like, all this sorts of shit, and I was like, oh man, I can't believe they actually, like, ex- like they, um, they like, three nuclear, yeah, like, that was tough, and I was like, oh shit, I, I, I was taken, t- taken back, but I was like, ah, you guys got me, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, Macquarie, you got me, so, so I thought that was great, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I thought that was a great scene, and um, I think for the most part, the rest of the film is plays kind of like a Mission Impossible by the numbers film. That uh, yeah, even though you have exciting moments, there's not much to it in terms of like surprise or um, just some other things you would think of, like just making sure that the story. Like, the story diving into the world of spies a little bit more. And I think kind of part of that is, is the, mission, is the impossible mission force, are they spies? Hmm. Somewhat. They're more of a counterterrorism agency, I think. And they'll do spy stuff to get information to get to their goals that they need to. Like they you'll are, see that, and they're they're like the biggest improvisers on the planet. Like when everything goes south with Lark, when Ilsa shoots him in the head, and it's just like, what are we gonna do now? Um, Tom Cruise is like, let's hope the White Widows never met him, and grabs his band and just says, hey, I'm gonna walk in there. I might die. I might have to fight my way out. I might end up getting the plutonium back. Who knows? Let's find out. Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of like real. Seat, seat of your pants kind of let let's make i let's make ideas up as we go along became their mission type of thing mm-hmm. i i mean i can understand i like the fun that they i like the fun they injected a lot of fun in this movie right? and there's a lot of fun in the script there's a lot of fun that the, the performance brings into this movie but there are a lot of things that was like mm, I don't know how, like how would that work like the the Lark character was just so complicated and convoluted and um, we know that they were supposed to meet this person that we're gonna hope that she didn't meet this person we're gonna hope that nobody knows who this person is and I think I don't know if you picked up on the fact that what Walker did was send a decoy and but they just so happened to send a decoy who can fight amazing <laughs> right and so yeah. i was like wait what I, I i'm so confused of what's like happening here i thought it was also like super cool that you know, they, they they sprinkled a couple things of why walker was the person to kill all these apostles so that nobody would recognize him so maybe i can kind of get that but i just felt like there was a lot of times in which like the story kind of broke down and it was very very messy and they relied, and this is what I think was kind of funny, they really relied on Ethan, or Tom Cruise. They relied on him to be like, hey, can you figure this out and fix it for us? And he basically put on his charming, just figured the shit out. And was like, alright, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and so I, I think that's when some of the times the movie got a little kind of off the rails a little bit, because they, they wrote themselves into a corner. It was like, uh, we don't know. Let's just figure out what Tom thinks, or let's just see what Tom's gonna do, and then let's 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 roll with it. So, yeah, it's kind of they shape the story around what crazy stuff did Tom Cruise want to do next, type of thing. Yeah. Um, one thing that um, I mean, and 
like the doctor scene is amazing, but they try to do it again, showing like the improvised improv, improv skills of the Impossible Mission Force uh, when they unveil who Walker is as the mole inside. Which I mean, totally wasn't a surprise to anybody watching this movie. I mean, you see this guy that's just all super serious and not really doing anything to um, to kind of play along with the impossible mission force or try to help him out. He's trying to be a dick to him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you want, you're shocked that he's the bad guy. No, not well, really. So, but I thought, I mean, it was a fun setup that they did just having um, like kind of doing the switch with lane and actually leaving Benji at wouldn't the lane mask back in the uh, cell and then taking the real lane with them. And then he starts talking to lane and, Benji plays along with him, and then there's like they reveal that, and they they're streaming it to Angela Bassett the whole time. So fun set piece just doesn't really lead to anything. So I think the one thing that I was really upset about was you know we had seen and me and you just went and watched two movies. We had a double feature, and I think one of the funniest things that we've done was watch this movie and like lean over to each other and says, "Oh, that person's evil, right?" That person's a bad guy, right? And that person, <laughs> yeah. that person's a bad guy, and that person's gonna die, right? And so we saw Skyscraper, and we saw Equalizer Two on the same day, and in both instances that happened. So that's very, very yeah. fresh in my mind. And we saw that in the weekend. I saw this first time. I saw Mission Impossible was on the Monday. So very, very fresh. We saw. I saw those two movies on Saturday. I saw that this movie on Monday, and then the first sighting of Henry Cavill's character Walker. I'm like he looks evil, right? <laughs> so he's going to die, right? And sure enough, I was like, "Oh, I'm not surprised that you you're not surprising me. You, how are you surprising anybody to know that he's going to die?" And <laughs> or and he's evil. He literally looks terrible. And he looks evil and on top of it, what we were talking about before, we are meant to not like this character at all. So it, it, it blew me away, the fact that um, they did it so easily. And they didn't, like, they didn't do any sort of like misdirection. Or they didn't do anything for me to like, actually like this character. They tried some misdirection to see that Ethan Hunt was like behind it for the entire time. But the audience knows that's not true. So I was confused if they're only doing that for the audience in the movie... But we don't believe it, so we're literally sitting there as the audience saying, "That's not true." But it doesn't it, that that doesn't impact me. So I, I I felt like they just kind of kept falling flat all over the place of what they were trying to do. Yeah, which makes me think that maybe the movie would have played better if they actually introduced Ilsa later. That they cut out her actually going into the uh, White Widow's party with them. And that because that that play, that scene plays out kind of weird too because the White Widow's talking to who she thinks is Lark who is actually Ethan Hunt, but then you see in the background you see Elsa beating up people you see Walker beating up people and the White Widow's just looking around and then all of a sudden she's like oh so uh, who are your friends. And he's like, what are you talking about? Come on. You just obviously showed us them kicking everybody's ass in this party. Uh, so don't don't 
I mean, don't play dumb with the audience that way. That's kind of stupid. And I think uh, maybe that bathroom scene would have been better if, like, Walker saves Ethan. Yes. That way you build that trust. Yeah. And then have Ilsa show up as, you first see her as the mysterious motorcyclist yeah. during the during the high during the heist to get laying out of uh, the armored truck and you're like who is this motorcyclist the whole time oh, and, then when, yeah. and then when Ethan like hits her and her helmet falls off and you see her then that would have been awesome see now we're right now we're right so we're we are now fully on this rewrite movie. So we have done this yeah. the last, I think our last six reviews, Bradley. We have done this every time without fail. But I love the fact, I absolutely love a character that we are built to love, knows, very, very precise, trying to save Ethan's life, accidentally, quote unquote, right, kills the Lark, John Lark, and. You know, maybe uh, at the time that he kills Larks, that he's injured during dur- during that that particular scuffle. So the only person that can only do it, the only option that they have, is to send Ethan to fill in for Lark. Right? If you look at it, why not? Like if, if, in that entire moment, why couldn't you know Henry Cavill's you know Walker character play Lark? We know that it was him right. later on, but he had the ability, right? You have to. I, I like the fact that you're eliminating some of these. Um, uh, like you're, you're just eliminating all these other options, and there's one option that we have to do. So let's do it. Not there's one option that we're gonna we have to do, but obviously Ethan Hunt or you know Tom Cruise character is gonna do it because he's the main character. So we're gonna do that. So I think that's a good call out. So good on you. Oh, thank you. I mean, but um, yeah. Oh. Um, I will say, like, the last thing I'll say about this, um, this probably has the best ending to a Mission Impossible film since Mission Impossible 3. I just think the way it plays out, it goes so well. You you get this whole idea of um, Walker was Lark, and he wrote this manifesto about, um, what, what was it about, like, um, he basically Thanos is the thing. He just oh says, my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh! I was going. Mean, I said say that. He's gonna kill half the population, but he's just like before great peace. There's great, must be great, great suffering. Suffering. I I thought finger. that. <laughs> I clearly somebody in this actual screenplay they read the script and was like, that kind of sounds like what we were gonna do. Yeah, I thought that immediately. I was like. Okay, whatever. Just don't make him come out in the same like year. But that's, <laughs> that's such a good call out. I, I love that you said that. Yeah, but um, yeah, like even though it like Thanos pops in your head as soon as you hear that, um, it becomes interesting because you do have Lane, who it becomes more of like Lark sympathizer, and they have this weird relationship where Lark is actually trying to give him orders and Lane is going back at him, which makes for an interesting dynamic to villains that are trying to team up, show their complications too, which I think, hey, uh, even though I don't think they took it that far, yeah, show that. That's awesome. Get on you. Uh, But everything, once they get to the uh, cashmere, to the medical facility, um, Ethan reuniting with uh, Julia 
Um, they have a great moment together. Um, just uh, the way Lane kind of sets up a trap for Ilsa and then Benji, I think, was fantastic. Like him tying her up where she tries to get away and chokes her. Oh, that. That should have been focused on a little bit more. They yeah. they glazed over it, but I was like, oh, like we. I think visually we can get it, but they spent a half second and then like, like, like looked away from it. I was like, man, that was a great. Uh, and I think people forget, you know, what Lane can do there. And yeah. I was like, well, he's a force to be reckoned with. Also, that was great. I like that. Yeah, and um, also uh, just having the intensity of two nuclear weapons that will go off at any time, and that to disarm a nuclear weapon, it's not just pressing one button. Thank you. Show us that you have to do multiple different steps yeah. to get past all this crap to to actually disarm this nuclear weapon. So yeah. that's good that I think they did that. That adds a little bit more intensity to what may happen, which is everybody blows up. And like I mentioned before, uh, Luther and Julia, like even what though their hands are, their hand deep inside of a nuclear weapon, still moments for just humanity there, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Uh, and the helicopter chase, I mean, fantastic. I, I thought it was awesome. Just like, Ethan pushing the helicopter until it's on flames, and it goes so crazy that you just gotta love it. And to wind up on a cliff face, and even though I think there should have been more physical fight between Walker and Ethan, um, but, the way he went but out, it wouldn't have been a fight. And I think they did it. I think that was one of the cases that they had to do it because they they kind of had to do it. Of Walker was injured, severely kind of injured. They they couldn't really be get into a fight because there's no way Ethan could beat Walker. Right. So I I think they had to kind of shorten that to say, hey, how can we make this as realistic as possible, sort of thing. Yeah, and I think it was cool when they were on the cliff. It was like, hey, I can match you toe to toe, and I'm even better than you at some points. And I w- I just wish there was more of that. Uh, and then just like you don't know until the last second whether or not Ethan was able to pull the. Um, the plug out of the detonator. I thought that was a great moment, and I thought that they wrapped it up really well after that, that um, Ethan's all beaten up, and he has one last moment with Julia, and he's just like, hey, go live your life type of thing. And it's like, all right, I'm not going to worry about you anymore. I'm going to go ahead and continue to live my life and do my job. Yeah, I thought that was was great. You know, um touching on a couple of the points that you mentioned the fact that they show you that there's multiple steps to de- defuse that bomb is way bigger than you've ever seen before and they show you that it's the same steps for two different bombs cutting the wire cutting simultaneously turning slowly the screw counter clockwise like they like Luther was explaining that they had studied it. I like I, I like those small bits of details because it yeah. not many people pick up on it, right? But I think that's what it makes it even more believable. So I'm really glad they kinda of put that in. I think just about everything in the sequence that they got to Kashmir Kashmir, right? Kashmir, the, yeah. the Kashmir kinda of worked. 
Uh, it definitely felt like um, Benji solving the fact, like how to uh, defuse the bomb, was a little bit easy. But that's okay. I can forgive all the ridiculousness that's the helicopter sequence. That's okay. I'm all. I'm all for it. Right? It's ridiculous. <laughs> What's payload? Oh, it's ridiculous. It's over the top. But it's a movie, and I really enjoyed them doing that. So I'm all about that. So I, I don't have any issues with just about anything in that sequence at all, in the entire sequence. The one thing I did have an issue with, and it was something small, but it's, you know, Lane is clearly beaten. He's tied up by Elsa on the floor, and he's, like, cackling, says, you'll never, you'll never win. You'll never win. And clearly they win. <laughs> so it's just like, what? Well, what I thought I and I was thinking, well, maybe they there's like a fail safe, and they definitely and I, I know you noticed this, but the director definitely tried to pull a fast one on everybody of Ethan like looking at the sunset, thinking of the explosion, and I thought yeah, I thought that, automatically to a white light once and see like that one second mark. Yeah, bit of a, a camera flare, maybe just maybe a little bit, but uh, it's. Uh, I thought it was crazy to think that they, you know, they added that in. And for a split second, maybe I got excited that the bombs went off. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's but, like you see, like, memorials, uh, Angela Bassett putting up plaques. <laughs> well, I mean, the reason, why I got, the reason why I got excited was because they were going to break the mold of what the Mission Impossible series was. If... In that moment, in that sequence, they tried everything they could do, but there was a third failsafe that they never accounted for. That would then be so much more redeemed to the people who are who are alive, or the people like Ethan Hunt's alive for that reason, for him to suffer. And the villain, at some point, has to win, right? Not in these theater, not in these movies, clearly, but. If the villain were to, were to win in this movie, just think of how impactful that would be. Because now it's just Ethan and every everybody else in the world in this entire sort of thing that happens. And to see how he bounced back from that for the next movie or the next few movies, I think that would have been even more impactful. Because once you lose everything you love, you really lose it. That's when it starts getting interesting. It's okay they didn't do that. That is way too dark to do. I get it. I, I know. I know. But I thought that would have been way more impactful to do. And I thought that would have been really, really awesome. They flirted at danger, but they never went there. And I at one point, even the cop uh, that saw them and almost stopped them, they... That was an interesting moment. I thought. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. You got to speed it up. You literally have to speed it up three times as fast. Because if it was more along the lines right. of like it's no nonchalant and this is going to happen in a moment, that means it's a split decision knowing that Ethan already has made up his mind. He knows he's going to save these people. He knows that he's innocent. He doesn't want anybody who's innocent is going to die. Meaning, in that scenario, once they open the doors, the cop sees them with the actual head, the uh, covering on Lane's head. Other people pull up, shoots the cop. They go up and says, hey, kill her. He shoots, 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 uh, shoots them, and then says, like, it just needs to be faster. 
the fact that they drew it out so long, you knew, you knew, and it wasn't, it wasn't a surprise that that cop wasn't going to die, yeah. and it wasn't a surprise, that, like, he, that the cop even, like, was hesitating for that long to yeah. make a choice. It, and I get why, it's a movie, and I get why they're doing those moments, the one thing that I really, really hated, you know, going back was the other unknown, unnamed henchman walks up. There's a train going by. He slowly raises his gun. I'm pretty sure this is in this. This is in the, the script. He slowly raises his gun to execute the cop, and he gets killed. And I'm like, "Come on, man!" So there's there's things in which I think there's a lot of the plot. There's a lot of story that they kind of just went with. But I really like just about everything to do kind of in Kashmir. I want a new story, right? I think we need something fresh. We need something new. Do we need to kill everybody? No. Does Benji have to die at some point? Yes. Probably. Does Yeah, he has to. Does Luther have to get out of that truck? Yes. Do you know why? Yep. Because Benji's out in the field causes issues. Luther in the truck in this movie causes issues. Ethan in the field itself causes issues. So, Luther needs some exercise, too. I mean, Van Graham's a big dude. So I think yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to see if they want to kind of change some stuff up. I thought it was really, really cool. Um, you know, so do you think for the next movie, does Elsa join IMF, or does she... No, I don't think Elsa needs to be in this Go movie. dark. But here's the thing. I think the next movie will be absolutely great if they do a bit of a time jump again. And Benji, it, Benji is the dude. Right? The director. <laughs> director? No, 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 no. Benji is Ethan. Oh, Benji is Ethan. Yeah. And Ethan's like the director of IMF no, or something. No, no, no. <laughs> Shut up. No. I, I think if, Benji, if Benji is Ethan, Ethan's like retired. He's not no longer there. He's like off the grid. Him and Ilsa's off the grid. So it's Benji and Luther and they have a new team. Something happens, compromises the team... He has to go off the grid, so it's now Benji, Ethan, Luther. Maybe he brings in Elsa. So it's these four people that are off the grid to figure something else out. I think that would be pretty cool, but we'll see. I don't know if that's gonna happen. But at, at, at some point, you need to kind of give some progression to these characters. They gave great progression for Benji. We know what Ethan's gone through. We know what Elsa's gone through. It still feels like. Um, Luther is super stagnant. He has not grown. Arguably, he has not grown. If he's been in the first movie, he has not grown at all. He hasn't grown for a while. <laughs> yeah. And so, you have to show a little bit of change in his character. He is a little bit softer. I'm pretty sure he was evil in that first movie, or at least, at least he wasn't entirely sure. I want to say sure. he was a foil to Ethan Hunt. Yeah. In some way. Okay. So I, I think you know you at least have to show that, and I think that'll be like very very fun. I think that'll be an enjoyable film to watch. Yeah, I would agree. So Brylin, with that, give me some of your lasting thoughts for Mission Impossible Fallout. I think uh, Mission Impossible Fallout was a very fun action film. Um, it's uh, definitely kind of like on par story-wise when it comes to Mission Impossible uh, series, so it doesn't really elevate it in any way. It's just fun to watch Tom Cruise do these crazy death-defying stunts all the time. I'm glad that he does take this extra effort to make it look as 
real as possible, but also at the same time, you're just like, wow, Tom Cruise is so crazy, but at least he's entertaining while he does it. Um, I'll definitely check out the next Mission Impossible film, just because I had a lot of fun with this one. And uh, I am definitely seeing any action film, any big budget film on Dolby Cinema going forward. Absolutely. I can't agree with you. Almost all the, all, all the point. Definitely on the Dolby. I am all in of this Mission Impossible. I really feel like, you know, after movie number three, it really, really changed. And so the only thing that I would ask is just make it a little bit different. You know, it's super entertaining. I will call it a good movie. I really enjoyed it. The movie, I like the girl of all the other characters. I like them showing a lot more. I just want to make sure that they kind of expand on other characters, especially if there's going to be seven movies, right, at this point. And I just really want, if you do incorporate something else, let's not let's not make it one person be a villain right let's let's break out of this mold let's break out of the mold let's start something new let's start something a little bit more different let's do a little bit more kind of a mind thriller to mess with the audience or at least give me something a little bit different the fact that you know what if elsa and you know ethan were against each other that literally had to kill each other right something along the lines of to keep it interesting keep it fun keep it different i, I like what they're doing with the stunts I have no idea where they're going to go with the stunts. I feel like Tom Cruise can do no wrong with stunts, so feel free. You know, go Tom through. Cruise is going to jump from the moon and fall back to Earth the <laughs> next one. I mean, it's possible, right? You never know with that CG. Um, I, I thought it was fun. I really enjoyed it, and I want to make sure that they kind of keep doing it. Just, just mix it up a little bit, so that will be cool. And with that, we have been the Down in Front Podcast. Thanks, Brylan. I mean, I'm super pumped to kind of remo- review a bunch of movies with you. Uh, where can we find more of your work? Uh, you can find me uh, not jumping out of airplanes because I'm not crazy on Twitter at Brylan, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram. Sometimes I'll post a movie review of something we haven't reviewed here uh, at I am Bryland. And I'm also playing through uh, Beyond Two Souls on Twitch right now. It's twitch.tv slash downfrontpodcast. When's your next recording, do you know? Um, hopefully very soon. Been under, under the weather a little bit, so hopefully when that clears up, I'll be good to go. Gotcha. We can definitely find more of our work. We're literally everywhere that you do listen to a podcast. So down in front, uh, down in front com. We're going to be on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Reddit. We have an email. I mean, we're just about everywhere. Our email is the crew at downinfrontpockets.com. Check out our website at downinfrontpockets.com along with our Twitter at underscore DAFP. That stands for Down in Front Podcast. And there's a little underscore to make sure people get down. We can mess with your minds. Check out our Facebook, facebook.com slash downinfrontpodcast. If you like what we do, you know, we're definitely going to say, you know, feel free to kind of sign up for our Patreon. What we're going to be doing is that we have early episodes. We have even bonus episodes. What we were talking about before, we're actually going to release um, to our uh, only our Patreon members just for a moment. So you'll see that on our Patreon channel. And you can join us to be a part of our Discord channel. So definitely check us out patreon.com slash downinfrontpodcast and I would say this and we will be posting this we have a bit of a plug that I like to do which is a little bit different because I'm not anywhere in the internet I guess who knows Uh, but I have my best friend Chrissy and Colin they have their beautiful 
Oh my gosh, I love this freaking dog. He looks amazing. And everybody knows how I feel about bow ties. Yes, this dog is wearing a bow tie. So, if you like helping out like any sort of like sort of fundraisers or anything, we're going to post a link, but we do have a competition. The competition is open from August 1st to August 21st. We will post a link in below, but all proceeds kind of going to the uh, Orlando, so the Greater Orlando Pet Alliance for adopting any sort of like young um, pets. So definitely go check that out. Definitely donate. We'll post the link here and we we'll say thank you so much for listening. Uh, and we will see you soon for our next review of Brylin. Disney's Christopher Robin. I'm so excited for this review. And we're actually going to get, you know, Mocha is going to be back for it. Blue is going to be back for it. So super, super pumped about that review. Uh, I love you all. And good night. Good night. Jesse loves Henry Cavill's massive guns at QQQ.com.